Big things are expected from the Jets in 2023, but what are the areas that should make fans the most nervous? I think it's the two tackle spots, offensive and defensive, and I'll explain why on today's episode of the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, May 10th, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com, thanking you so much for making this show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get new episodes as soon as they are posted. If you're listening on a podcast source, please give the show a five-star review, and if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help the show out and help other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Each Wednesday we try and do a mailbag show with listener questions. Let's jump right in. John, it seems like the Jets are in the top 10 of most power rankings. It seems like odds makers like them this year. Obviously the Aaron Rodgers trade is a big deal. But what is the area that makes you most concerned about this team? Well, I'm going to give you one on offense and one on defense. And it's the same name. It's tackle. And you everydayers, you folks who listen to this podcast every day, and if you're new to the show, welcome. This is a daily podcast. We have new episodes each day, Monday through Friday, covering the New York Jets. And everydayers who listen to this podcast consistently know that I've expressed concern about the offensive tackle spot. And part of it's that Aaron Rodgers is 39 years old. He's going to be 40 this year. And I don't care who your quarterback is. When he reaches that age, or even, even if your quarterback's younger, you still want to make sure you put a good offensive line around him but especially when you have a quarterback who's approaching 40 who's going to turn 40 during the season it becomes of the utmost importance that you put a quality offensive line in front of him and part of it's that as players age injuries become more likely and at the quarterback position I really think those hits begin to add up as you go through the course of the season especially with an older quarterback you know, if you take a lot of hits in September and October, they don't necessarily injure you. Now, of course, there is obviously the injury threat, and that's something to be concerned about as well. If you have a bad offensive line and your quarterback's taking more hits, odds go up he's going to get hurt. But even if he doesn't get hurt, I feel like, and I've heard this from players, I've, I've heard it from players at other positions as well, but also at quarterback, the more you age, the more difficult it is to recover after a game. And in September, it's not that difficult. In fact, I remember 10 years after John Elway retired, he said, you know what, if I needed to, I could go win a game. I could go out there and win a game this week. What I could not do, though, is win that second game because I would be, get so beat up playing and my body just can't recover as the way I could when I was younger. And I think that as you get older, and this is, again, something I've heard from players the recovery is what's difficult. And even, you know, linebacker is a little different than playing quarterback. But I remember hearing Ray Lewis at the end of his career. He was talking about it was, by the end of the season, it was difficult for him to get out of bed by the end of the season. It was tough. So you want to limit the number of hits Aaron Rodgers takes. And if you're a Jets fan, I mean, I don't need to tell you how dangerous this tackle situation is. Dwayne Brown's 38 years old. He's in decline. This is not vintage Dwayne Brown anymore. And on the other side, Mekhi Becton. 
if you're a Jets fan, you know he hasn't played really since 2020. He played three quarters of the first game in 2021, did not play at all in 2022. This is a dangerous situation for the Jets. And behind them, well, they have Billy Turner, who I think was an okay signing. I have nothing against the signing. I think it was actually a pretty decent depth signing, but he's a depth player. He's behind Becton, and he's behind Brown for a reason. And behind him, Max Mitchell. And if you ever dares listen to the show yesterday, you know I talked about how critical Max Mitchell may be. If he can develop into a player for the Jets, it solves a big problem for them because they need tackle depth. But that's not a guarantee. And when we're talking about a fourth-round pick entering year two, it's a wild card. It's kind of a, you know, it's pretty random whether or not he's going to be good or not. You can't count on him. So tackle worries me. And the rest of the offensive line, I mean, there are some question marks there when you talk about Lake and Tomlinson, who is not coming off a good season. At center, we don't know what's happening, whether it's going to be Connor McGovern or Joe Tipman. Elijah Vera Tucker, I trust. But there are lots of questions on the offensive line. None are bigger than the tackle position. And on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think we've talked enough about what a big loss Sheldon Rankins was. Because he played really well next, last year next to Quinn and Williams. Sheldon Rankins, it's funny. In 2021, I thought it was a great signing. I thought he and Quinn and Williams were going to be a great duo. And he, Rankins really wasn't very good. In fact, I thought they should cut him heading into last offseason. Well, he sure showed me. Because he, he went out and had a very good season. And it was a good one-two punch. Now, the Jets have a lot of talent on the edge. And it makes me wonder, maybe is John Franklin Myers going to see more time inside this season? It's one of those things I've been kind of resistant to, to see the Jets do because he's been so good at the end position. He really did not play tackle all that much last year. But based on what they have at defensive end and based on the lack of talent that they have at tackle, and I know they signed Al Woods and Quinton Jefferson, I think John Franklin Myers' snap count is going to go up at defensive tackle, even if he's not going to move there full time. But it's a big question mark. And I think for a team that's built around the defensive line, I don't love having this kind of type of question mark. There are question marks at safety. There's question marks at linebacker. But this defense is really built around defensive line play more than anything. And I think that having this degree of uncertainty at the defensive tackle position scares me a little bit. Now, I'm going to give you the counter-argument to that because I think there is a strong counter-argument to be made. You could also argue that a lot of uh, Rankins' success last year was about playing next to Quinn and Williams. When you have a superstar player next to you on a defensive tackle, it makes your life much easier. And maybe you could argue that Rankins wasn't as good as they're making him out to be. Maybe Quinn and Williams made him look better than he really was. And maybe you could just plug in a regular player next to Quinn and Williams and he'll look good. That's the counter-argument to that. And I think it's not unfair. And I think if you look across the NFL, if you look at what's happened in recent years, there's a pretty decent case to be made for that. So perhaps it's not that Big of a question mark. And we know the defense is the stronger of the two units on the Jets right now. If you're asking, is this a, a team that's got stronger defensive play or stronger offensive play? With all due respect to Aaron Rodgers, I'd probably say defensive play. They were a top five defense last year. They were a bottom of the league offense. And yes, adding Aaron Rodgers, that should help them get out of the bottom of the league. It certainly You certainly would hope it would. But I don't know that it gets them all the way to the top five. And even if the defense, you know, the defense may regress or something, it wouldn't be a shock to see the defense become a top ten defense, you know, maybe at the lower end of the top ten. But you know, as long as everybody stays healthy, the key players, they'll probably be a very good defense. Uh, but I, I still think the tackle position, it's one I, I wish they had addressed better at some point during the offseason. Now, I think essentially the way they addressed it was just you know, they went the one-year route with guys trying to stay in the league Al Woods Quinton Jefferson it would have been nicer for a team built so much around defensive line play it's maybe not the end of the world and again John Franklin Myers may see more snaps inside especially on passing downs 
I think he will be a staple of, uh, I think I think him at defensive tackle will be a staple on passing downs. And you have to remember his breakout years with the Jets did come with him playing more of an interior type role on passing down. So we know he can handle that. But I feel like the defensive tackle position, it's a spot I would have liked to have seen them address a little bit better. Now, here on the Locked On Jets podcast, we'll continue our weekly mailbag show. We'll talk about a free agent who's available, who I think should interest the Jets. He plays on defense. He's not a defensive lineman. He actually plays in the secondary. I'll tell you who it is as we continue on this Wednesday mailbag edition of the Locked On Jets podcast. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's been a rough series for you Knicks fans. The Miami Heat have the Knicks on the verge of elimination. Can the New York team come back? Well, I'm not sure, but it is the NBA playoff season, so you should make a fast break to FanDuel because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. So, if you're again, if you're a big Knicks fan and you're hoping for a 3-1 comeback, Against a team that's a pretty big rival. I know the Knicks and Heat haven't played that much in recent years, but if you go back 20, 25 years, they, that was a pretty fierce rivalry. And it would be pretty sweet for you Knicks fans if they fa- figured out a way to rally from this 3-1 deficit. It would be doubly sweet if you could win some money while they do it. So you should know that there's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thank you for making Locked On Jets your first listener, first watch every day. And every day, or be sure to tune into Locked On Jets tomorrow. The NFL releases its schedule Thursday night. I'll tell you some things I'll be watching for ahead of the schedule re- release. That's tomorrow on Locked On Jets. But today we're doing our weekly mailbag show. And we continue our next question. Which current free agent do you want the Jets to sign? And this is an interesting time of year because after the draft, you can find players who might be able to help your football team. You're not going to find a superstar player. You're probably not going to find an impact type player. But there are players out there who can be smart signings, who can help your football team out. I'll tell you the guy I have my eye on, and I'll tell you why I have my eye on him. It's John Johnson, a former member of the Los Angeles Rams He played most recently with the Cleveland Browns. He's a safety. I think that's a spot on defense. Maybe it's not as pressing. Maybe it doesn't make me as nervous as defensive tackle, but safety is a pretty big spot for the Jets right now. It was a, I think it was a weakness last year. Um, LaMarcus Joyner and Jordan Whitehead were inconsistent. They had some very good games, but they also had some very poor games. And I think that you don't want to be inconsistent on the back of your defense. You'd love to have a playmaking type safety, but really, you want steady play. And I think the Jets missed Marcus May quite a bit last year. But I think if you could do it over, you would give Marcus May the contract the Saints gave him. You know, heck, even at the time, I kind of wanted the Jets to give Marcus May the contract the Saints gave him. The Jets' safety duo is Jordan Whitehead and Chuck Clark. And what's interesting about them is they're both better players closer to the line of scrimmage than they are far back. And last year... The Jets' defense, they played their two safeties back a lot more than they played them near the line of scrimmage. And the Jets, when you hear about Robert Sala's system, you'll hear a lot about cover three, which generally speaking means that you have one safety in the box. You have essentially one safety deep and two outside corners covering the deep part of the field. That's why it's called cover three, because you have three guys. You split the deep part of the field into thirds. Deep safety takes the middle, two outside corners take the outer thirds. 
but the Jets played their two safeties deep a lot. Whitehead and Joyner both played the majority of their snaps deep. So you have two safeties who are better closer to the line of scrimmage, but you have a defense that's kind of running with these guys playing further back. They're kind of playing the deep zones. And that's kind of the direction the NFL is going in. The defenses in today's NFL have kind of, it's been a cycle. You know, in the early 2000s, there were lots of two safeties deep. And then that changed. Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks were a big driver behind that about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so where they started moving uh, Cam Chancellor closer to the line of scrimmage. They played Earl Thomas deep. And Pete Carroll, a lot of his protégés, went across the league, including Robert Sala. And a guy, they they started playing with the one safety deep, one closer to the line of scrimmage. And the cycle has kind of shifted again over the last couple of years. Uh, Vic Fangio, Brandon Staley are guys who get credit for it. But you have two safeties deep again. It's because the passing game is so prevalent. You want to take away the deep ball. And you're, so, you're kind of in, trying to entice teams to run the ball because because it's a passing league, running does less damage. So if you can entice teams to run the ball a little bit more, it, it helps you out. John Johnson's a guy who I think is better. He's a guy who plays further back. He's, he's a guy who plays in that deep role. To me, he's a good fit for the Jets. So I'd like to see the Jets try and bring him in. Safety is one of the weaker spots on defense. Again, not as big of a concern for me as tackle because defenses aren't really built around the safety position. You'd love to have a great safety. I don't know it's necessarily essential for Robert Sala, but I think you got to have better safety play than what you got last year because I think last year it was too inconsistent. The Jets allowed too many big plays, I'm especially thinking in the early part of the season. They, they did clean things up after those first couple of games, so maybe those those are sticking in my head a little bit, but I'd like to see improved safety play. I'd like to see if safety is better further back, and I think that's John Johnson, so that is my, my choice. Next question, what would a successful year for Will McDonald look like? I think Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson have maybe d- distorted our perceptions, and I, you can throw Brees Hall into that mix of what's reasonable to expect from a rookie. It's not that. Those were two, those were three. I'll throw a Brees in there. Three guys who were plug-and-play type guys. This year's draft class was not deep enough to reasonably expect to get a plug-and-play type guy at 15. You could have. I mean, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, the receiver, could have stepped into a, an early role for this team, but a lot of the candidates for the 15th overall pick were not going to be plug-and-play guys. In fact, the guy that looked like the Jets were really considering drafting, and the guy they probably would have picked had the Steelers not traded up, Broderick Jones, I'm not sure he was a plug-and-play guy. I think that there would have been a bit of a transition for him. The other issue with Will McDonald is he was drafted into one of the deepest positions on the field, and he's got to add some bulk. He's just, he's just not big enough. If you watch him on his college film, he gets pushed around too easily, which means you can't really play him unless it's a passing down. I'd like to see Will McDonald play a kind of a pass rush specialist role. He'll come in on obvious passing downs. And by the way, today's NFL. It's a, this isn't like the, the NFL of 15, 20 years ago where your pass rushing specialist only came in on third downs. A guy who's a pass rushing specialist can play 50 to 60% of the snaps in today's NFL. So I'd like to see McDonald go out there, and he's got a few pass rushing moves. I mean, I think he's got a decent rip. I think he's got a decent swim move. I think he's got some good counters with his hands uh, to disengage from blocks. I mean, one of the things with McDonald is he's got great length, and if he can make initial contact with those long arms, he actually has shown a proficiency to getting to the quarterback. So I think probably, you know, in that three, four, five sack range, I don't think you're looking for 10 sacks. He's not going to be a... He's not going to play well, uh, enough snaps to get, you know, in the 8, 9, 10 sack range. 
So I think, you know, he, you want him to look like he belongs as a pass rusher. Hopefully during the course of the season, he hits the weight room, he adds, starts adding that bulk, and then maybe he steps into the starting lineup in year two. Now, head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast. We'll continue with our weekly mailbag show. We'll close things out. We'll talk about how the Jets might manage their salary cap. One player who could be on the bubble. We'll also talk about a rather infamous trade in recent Jets history. That's all ahead here as we continue this Wednesday mailbag edition of the Locked On Jets podcast. This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Wednesday. We're doing our weekly mailbag. Thanks so much to all you listeners who sent in questions. We continue our next questions about the Jets' salary cap situation. The Jets will probably have to make room for Aaron Rodgers. They'll have to clear out other space for practice squad and other purposes. What player should be cut to make salary cap room? It's an interesting question because there's a couple of guys who seem like fairly obvious candidates. The Jets took Corey Davis off the table this week. And if we're just talking about money you can clear out, Davis would have been a pretty obvious candidate from the standpoint that he could have saved the Jets eight figures in salary cap space if he was cut. He could have saved the Jets $10.5 million in cap space. But And you everydayers who listen to the podcast earlier this week, you know that I said I felt like keeping Davis is the right move, though. Another guy who could conceivably be cut and open up a lot of salary cap space is Carl Lawson. If the Jets cut him, they save $15.4 million against the cap. That's new cap space that's cleared up. They only have about $333,000 in dead money. So if you're looking to clear out a lot of cap space, Lawson's probably the first place you'd look. The problem with that, though, is that you'd be cutting your best defensive end or one of your top two defensive ends with John Franklin Myers again on a unit that while you have maybe Jermaine Johnson can step in in year two I don't I think you're downgrading a very important part of your team in a year where you're essentially in win now mode so I think it would be a curious move now if Jermaine Johnson you think Jermaine Johnson's ready to step in and get 10 sacks then maybe you do it because at that point, Lawson may be a guy who's blocking a potential breakout player. And while Lawson's a very good player, if he's going to be relegated to backup duty, if Jermaine, and that's only if Jermaine Johnson's ready to step in, but if Lawson's going to be relegated to backup duty, then you have good players behind him. And then if you, I don't know that you want Lawson on limited snaps at $15 million. So that could be the option. They could also, I mean, they could also just manipulate more of these contracts. What they've been doing all offseason is just taking a player and reducing his cap hit for this year and just pushing that money to the future. They could do that with Lawson. They could do that with Davis. I mean, there's no reason those players can't be back this year. And what they could do is they could just say, instead of, you know, instead of Lawson and counting for $15 million against the cap, they could manipulate the deal and cut it down to say five and push the extra 10 million to the future. That's another option. It may not be great cap management for the long run, but for a team that's really all in at this point, trying to win now, that might be the move for them. And it's kind of been the theme of the offseason, pushing money to the future. So I don't, I don't know that they're going to stop now. And, I mean, the team kind of needs Lawson and Davis. You know, at the beginning of the offseason, I would have been all for upgrading on these two guys. But now that we're, now we're past the point where there's really any viable alternative to them. So I think you keep them around. That's me, but I, I think you keep them around. Our last question. I was looking up Aaron Rodgers' draft year. In 2005, and I noticed the Jets traded their first-round pick. Who did they trade it for? I'm going to assume that this is an actual serious question, because those of you who know me know that this is a very, very sore subject with me. 
And I, I don't remember if I've ever mentioned this before, but this is a this one irritated me at the time. The Jets traded in 2005. They traded their first round pick to the Raiders, and they got Doug Jolly, who was a tight end, and he was not a good tight end. And it's not like he was a good tight end with the Raiders. We knew he wasn't any good. And they traded a first-round pick for Doug Jolly. Now, they got a pick back in return. They got the Raiders' second-round pick. So it was the Jets' first-round pick for Doug Jolly and a second-round pick. Doug Jolly brought nothing to the table. You knew it was not going to work out. He was cut after a year. What I wanted the Jets to do in the first round that year was draft Keith Miller, a really promising tight end prospect out of Virginia. And maybe this was the beginning of the tight end curse, because for whatever reason, it seems like the Jets just refused to get decent tight ends on this team. And it continues to this day with the Conklin-Uzama duo. It just is one of the frustrating, one of the things that just frustrates the heck out of me. The fact that Jets refuse to get good tight ends. The fact that Jets tried to bring in tight ends who can't play. Now, you may be asking why the Jets did not draft Aaron Rodgers that year. Would they have drafted? They would not have drafted Aaron Rodgers. They had Chad Pennington. They had just given Chad Pennington a $64 million contract, which in those days was a lot of money. You know, in today's NFL, $64 million for your quarterback actually is like a moderate deal. It's probably like a, a bridge contract. But in those days, that was franchise quarterback money. So there was little chance the Jets were going to draft Aaron Rodgers that year. They could have drafted Keith Miller, though, who went on to be a really good tight end for the Steelers for over a decade. But instead, no, we had to get Doug Jolly. And by the way, that second-round pick that came from the Raiders, they used that to draft Mike Nugent, the kicker. They drafted the kicker in the second round. So we got Doug Jolly and a kicker, and Nugent was a good kicker. But Doug Jolly and a kicker, we could have draft, just drafted Heath Miller, who was a very good tight end. So if you were asking seriously, that's the answer. If you were just trying to irritate me because you knew because I had mentioned it before and you knew how much that how much that frustrated me, well played. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. Please a five-star review if you're listening on podcast source or a big thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. These things help the podcast out, help other Jets fans find us. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the Jets' upcoming schedule release.